0: pacino impression before it's more and like you still imp- have it because that was not one <laughs> no that was it was like an impression of bill Hader doing al pacino whoa <laughs> steven this is the last podcast this is the last episode of the podcast for today
1: <laughs> no uh but it does sound different in here yeah, it does this is the last time this is the last day we will work together at the same company (laughs) ever uh at the same company for now but yeah it's a weird day many weird many weird end of an era for sure
0: yeah since we started this podcast
1: we've been working together and mainly recording out of this room
0: we might we might still continue to record out of this room you never know the dungeon the annex the back rooms
1: but yeah if it sounds different to anybody and like the room tone just sounds a little bit different. It's because I, have cleared out my room, which had a lot of stuff in it, in my office space, and uh, here you are. It's crazy. It's the last time we'll be recording while working together. Well,
0: it's a special cast then.
1: I guess. <laughs> do you want to crack open <laughs> for, that beer for no, no. <laughs> for a super weird movie. Yeah, or one one that I didn't expect to do. We kind of on a whim, just went and saw this today.
0: It was buzzing. People were buzzing about it.
1: People were buzzed talking about it.
0: They were. And I liked it a lot. I'm super glad we saw it on a whim, even Same. though there are movies that have already come out that we would have seen in its stead beforehand.
1: Yeah, if you're wondering, why haven't they talked about 3,000 Years of Longing? It's because we went and saw this instead.
0: <laughs> I feel like that movie is flying. I mean, a lot of the movies coming out right now are flying kind of underneath the radar for right. your average audience. Right. Because they're not... It's not Marvel, and it's not even, you know, big studios pushing it hard. This film had a little bit of marketing to it, but not in the same way either.
1: Yeah, it had a lot of good producers behind it, and I think that's why it got... Also, I mean, it's it's proficiency, like, but it, it got a lot of what it was due, I think, because it was just a good, well-made film, you know?
0: Yeah, I think it's easy for a quality horror picture to... How it'd be successful versus like a quality indie picture of some other kind, right? You know, like we mentioned a few weeks ago, the nice guys, Shane Black's nice guys, just kind of floated into obscurity. Yeah, but I feel like a movie like this, like Barbarian, it's going to have a bit of a cult following for sure, and hopefully does well enough at the box office. I was going to check out its budget.
1: Yeah, so we're doing Barbarian today
0: zach crager's written and directed by barbarian zach crager whom everybody should know well not everybody most people would know from the late 2000s sketch comedy group the whitest kids you know with trevor moore and a couple other guys trevor moore actually just passed away a year or two ago oh my goodness yeah i think how another od uh no i think the latest i heard was that he fell off his balcony <laughs> um but in in the spirit of trevor's life the, the joke is that he died trying to suck his own dick. oh yeah um he came and went is the joke <laughs> you know, but it's all sad it's it's sad, but that's when when Trevor passed Zach Craiger and the other whitest kids you know guys they had a a stream like you know a community event to like honor Trevor's legacy. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't even say why he died, or how he actually died. They just, that was the bit. They did a bit for his death, which uh-huh. is what Trevor would have wanted. Yeah. So anyway, all that to say, Zach Kreger, like Jordan Peele, comes from sketch comedy. And it's really, really cool to see these comedy guys roll into horror and thrillers and just already be like a master of the tone. Yeah. Because comedy and horror yeah. share so much from timing to subject matter and all these things. Sure. It's really cool, and it was great. Totally.
1: I mean, maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, how do you think horror and comedy
0: share tone? One sec. I'm just going to Google budget. Computer, show me budget for Barbarian. It shows me Conan the Barbarian. Budget was $20 million for that picture.
1: <laughs> can you show me nude Barbarian?
0: <laughs> it's not going to tell me, I don't think. That's okay. But yeah, comedy is a style of genre, I guess you could say, that relies heavily on timing for its successfulness, for its efficacy. You know, you want to build up a joke just like you want to build tension in a scene for a horror flick. Mm -hmm. When you watch movies like Barbarian or any of Jordan Peele stuff, especially when you're more familiar with their comedy. Like their previous Specifically sketch comedy because it's narrative. Like timing? Uh, Yeah, but... the. the thing with sketch comedy versus just like stand up is that it's about um, mm. narrative, telling a story. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, timing is a huge part of it. You want you want to build up a scene. And so just like you're you're leading into a punchline in comedy, in horror you're building up for like a reveal or a scare. Right. Or something like that or building up to fake out the audience either way. So, especially in the first act of Barbarian Uh, It's all very palpable to me as someone who's very familiar with both of those individuals and their histories with comedy. It just seems like they have a great handle on building that tension. And it's not just in... Like, it comes out in so many ways. It comes out in the editing, mm-hmm. it comes out in the writing, and it comes out in the camera work. Mm-hmm. Like, there there are a lot of shots in the first act of this film that are establishing, you know, the environment, like little things, like shots of the keys or shots of the dryer as it's, or the laundry um, as it's going in the dryer. Uh, and all those little things are important to, like, build up a sense of setting and a sense of story. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, That that's my... I'm going to, I would, I mean, I feel like it's a commonly accepted thing that comedy and horror are pretty tied together. And especially when you blend those genres together in a film, like Barbarian had a lot of very funny moments, but I wouldn't call it a black comedy. It's just like a horror film that used comedy well. Yeah. Um, and that's always refreshing too, when you get a lot of shitty horror yeah. or just shitty comedy in other genres. Right. So yeah, hopefully that Yeah. Made let's, a little sense.
1: Th- no, it totally did. And I totally agree. I completely agree. Um, Why don't you talk about the cast? Who's in Barbarian? Yeah. Had a really
0: good cast. It did. And one of the biggest selling points is going to be Bill Skarsgård was featured heavily in the promotional material as Keith. The clown from It. Yes. I mean, we've seen a lot of Bill in the last few years in major pictures and also indie films. No doubt his role in It was part of this casting process probably because he was he served as bait you know in the first act or the first half of the film make you think that he's the the sinister antagonist behind everything yeah for our main character who is tess played by georgina campbell she was fantastic she's great our heroine strong character not just strong female character which is it's important really thematically her role in the film we also had justin long Hmm. as aj who I don't even really remember seeing him in trailers, but he pops up. He was in trailers. Let's let's just say spoilers from here on out. Uh Justin Long shows up very abruptly in the second half of the film. They cut to his storyline, not having any previous reason to really be showing him at that point other than Yeah. they dropped the the hat, so to speak. What is it? They they like um the first act or first half of the film ends very abruptly. They
1: lift the veil and show you what the thing is. Yeah, the nature of the beast. And they sh- they cut to a storyline that they have not shown
0: you yet in the film,
1: which is Justin's storyline halfway into the film,
0: about an hour in. Yeah, those are our three big names for the film. And we also have some other characters, including Richard Brake, who plays the guy who the guy who he's the father. Yeah. <laughs> we'll call him the father from now on. <laughs> uh yeah, but that's our cast. Really? Unless you want me to keep going. We had James Butler as Andre, who was the the dude running around trying to save the, the, the Georgina. Dude? Yeah. He had a memorable <laughs> scene. <laughs> yeah. So what is Barbarian, Stephen?
1: Well, like we said spoilers, I think Gabe and I would both agree that if you haven't seen Barbarian and you are at all interested in good movies and you can stand like horror or you like scarier horror films but also just good movie filmmaking, yeah. Go see this movie. Going don't as blind don't, yeah, as you can. Don't listen to us any further. <laughs> but yeah, full spoilers ahead. Um, Barbarian starts with a woman Name Tess, showing up to an Airbnb. A guy's already there. That's Bill Skarsgård's character, Keith. And uh, you're unsure because Bill Skarsgård is often known as being the, like, you, you think he's going to be the villain because he's been always typecast as the villain in other films and works. So for an hour, you're thinking at at any moment, Bill Skarsgård's going to turn and be the villain. Um, it turns out, he was just a good dude, and uh, he lets her in. They kind of hit it off a little bit. She goes about her day the next day. Nothing scary happens, really. The next day, after an interview that she has, that's why she's in town with, for the Airbnb, and they, they ended up like splitting this Airbnb, she gets trapped downstairs and finds like a dungeon uh, in the basement like a hidden door and then a dungeon and then the dungeon just keeps going and Into going to another dungeon. <laughs> it, it becomes a labyrinth and she discovers it. And then Keith comes home. She tells Keith about it. He goes to look at it really quick. You still think at this point it's going to be him. Uh, he's going to turn at any moment and, and, and mess with her. He goes down and even up to the last second, he is saying there's another person down here. There's someone else down here you think it's, he's just playing with her, you know? Yeah. And then another person does pop up and a monster. It's, it's not a monster. It It's played to be like a monster, but what essentially it is, is an inbred, uh, fully grown woman who has been living in darkness. Um,
0: a troglodyte.
1: She's yeah. Every, in every essence of the word, a uh, uh, barbarian type, um, Individual who just is fully naked and horrifying to look at, not not becomely Yeah. To to look at and anyway, she destroys Keith, destroys Bill Skarsgård by slamming his head against the wall. Then you cut to this is the middle of the movie. Justin, long story. This is an amazing shot, by the way. They're shooting on the coast of California. He's just driving along, singing, singing, and <laughs> and happy as a clam he gets a call that he's accused of sexual misconduct accused of essentially raping a coworker on a pilot uh, TV episode and you come to find out he's a terrible human being he actually did rape that girl although he he doesn't know how to admit it his life and his career is essentially ruined and he has to go to Detroit to this Airbnb which is actually one of his properties that he owns to try to sell it so that he can make money because he has about three months left financially to, to live off of. He gets there and realizes there's, there's luggage, there's, you know, he finds, like, so he thinks someone's squatting. He finds the dungeon, he gets trapped with Tess, they meet briefly. The barbarian seems to have this affinity toward being motherly, and she just wants to coddle and protect her babies and her children essentially these people and and make them her babies. Uh, If it sounds weird and grotesque, that's because it is. And then then, uh, through a a large series of events, I'm not going to say everything that happens, but they escape, uh, or Tess escapes. She tells the cops. The cops don't do anything about it. She goes back in herself. She tries to rescue Justin Long. He ends up shooting her after he finds this other person down there who essentially was this person who had been capturing women, raping them, having babies, and then raping those children as they grow up. And then, and like, it's a whole incestuous inbreeding thing happening. And he's down there. And and anyway, he's still alive. Justin finds him. He shoots himself because Justin says that he's going to call the cops and then Justin takes that gun and then ends up shooting Tess as she's trying to rescue him. It was an accident. It was an accident. <laughs> he, though, feels a lot of remorse. He tries to, for, for his actions, both in the Me Too situation that he finds himself in, and then also for shooting her. He wants to do right by her. They try to escape with the help of this kind of crazy dude, like a, a person suffering from homelessness that lives in the area. They go up this water tower. The barbarian woman is chasing them because it's nighttime and she's, you know, I remember she lives in the dark. She comes out at night. He chases him up to the water tower, both Tess, who is bleeding out a little bit from the side because of the gunshot, and Justin, they find themselves cornered. And Justin, who seemed very remorseful for his actions, ends up tossing Tess off the water tower. At the same time, the barbarian woman, very comically, again, she's a fully grown Kind of hideous-looking naked woman troglodyte <laughs> <laughs> dives after her because she Tess has kind of played along being her child for like two weeks while she was trapped down in the dungeon, and so this 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 barbarian woman kind of thinks of her as her baby, and to protect her, she jumps and and sacrifices herself by putting herself positioning herself between the ground and Tess falling, and then Tess falls on top of her, essentially living. Justin goes down to check, saving his own ass, and then realizing Tess is still alive, the barbarian woman is still alive, too. And she wakes up and rips Justin's head in half, uh, popping his eyes out. She
0: gives him the mountain.
1: Yep, from Game of Thrones. And then, yeah, so he's he dies. And then to kind of finish it off, she picks up the gun and then shoots the barbarian woman in the head and uh, walks off.
0: Right as Tess pulls the trigger, we cut to credits. Yep. So good.
1: Well, then it, then it cuts back for a few more scenes as you see her kind of get up and walk away. Yeah. Remembering, though, that the police, she told the Detroit cops her whole story, and they would not listen to her. Anyway, that's the movie. That's what happens. It's pretty wild. The most wild things are that Gabe and I were kind of talking that, like, every single cliche or trope that you could think for a horror film it played into those and then circumvented them yeah so for instance there's a door that you think is gonna close on her and then like and then trap her in the dungeon for a second time and instead of that happening which is the thing that would happen in most horror films she catches it runs over to grab a chair and puts the chair like holding the door up so that the door doesn't close again and it's, it's that kind of intelligence that happens throughout the film that really circumvents your understanding of cliche horror films so that the movie is able to keep you guessing as an audience member as to like, what's going to happen next? Is, is When is Bill Skarsgård going to turn yeah. and become the monster? And then for the second half of the film, there are a few things that it does, maybe one or two. And that's what I mean by a few. One or two things that are a little bit tropey. But even up until the end, it isn't that much of a cliche. And it, it, it's a very intelligent, well-written, well-directed, and produced little horror film, little flick that has a has a large amount of social commentary and, and themes that, that we could discuss.
0: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about those themes. Okay. So the first one, the most obvious and prevalent theme conversation to have is like, the male versus female gender yep. experience, yep. you know, in life, in, in the modern Western world. And it's funny because I was thinking about afterwards and kind of looking about what people were saying about Barbarian as I was running out of the theater on my high, my my movie high. And uh, it kind of reminded me of Men, which was Alex Garland's uh, surreal horror experience from earlier right. this year. yeah. And the way it was dealing with, like, the female perspective and this kind of male-dominant world, even though, you know, so much has happened in the last 10 years regarding accountability and stuff like that. And so this film has a lot to say about everything from the things that were happening around the Me Too movement to just the general perspective of a woman living in today's society and how yeah. she has to approach social situations in different in a different manner. And they, they flat-out
1: addressed that yeah. between Bill Skarsgård's Keith and her character. Basically, she says... If I was alone here at the Airbnb already and you came saying that you also double booked it, she's like, I wouldn't have let you in, but you being the white male Mm -hmm. can easily let me in and, you know, try to provide like a a safe space for me to reside in. And that kind of set the tone for the commentary for the rest of the film.
0: Yeah, it was very direct in the first half. And it was funny watching Skarsgård's character because he, I mean, the audience is unsure about him just as Tess is, but also... It's funny in retrospect because he was just a socially awkward kind yeah. of person. But he was so, he was still very charming. Yeah. You know, and f- by all accounts, he was probably just a good guy. Yeah. And so it's funny watching him in those social, he's trying to simultaneously navigate it as she does, these um, precarious social situations where he's obviously from the outset deemed to be perhaps predatorial. As As the male. Yeah. But then it gets even more clever in the second half with Justin Long's character because then you have, like, that's where you get the real male perspective. And uh, Justin Long is accused of rape and ends up more or less, it's confirmed that he did, you know, sexually assault this woman um, from his pilot. Yeah. Yeah. And so you get to see his response to that whole interaction and that whole dynamic and coming clean with that throughout the course of the movie. And then the brilliant way to end it with him, we talked about this as we were leaving the theater. He like the um, right before the climax, he's sitting with Tess and Andre, the the homeless character, the, the plot drop character. And he's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm like a good person or a bad person, but I'm really just trying to make things right. He has this
1: or a person like a, like a, A person that has just done a bad thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But he also says, um, unless I imagine this just now, I'm pretty sure he says something about like, we can't change the past, but I can like affect things moving forward by like atoning for those things. Yes. So it's this moment of clarity on the character's
1: part. Yeah. Yeah. He said that.
0: Yeah. The self-aware. Yeah. Realization. Yeah. And then in the next scene for the climax, he throws Tess off of the water tower to save himself yeah like you said when push comes to
1: shove yeah you get to and you, those things are tested in a, in a person
0: his colors are shown yeah and you get to see what kind of person aj really is yeah so that was fantastic and then it keeps you guessing up until the last frame you're like will he get away because you see the, the bodies on the ground and then both tests and the monster are still alive and <laughs> Um th- there was Which is funny in of itself, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. that that actually
1: <laughs> is one of the, the tropes of the cliches. Yeah, it's yeah. like they're both still alive somehow.
0: And it was really pushing my suspension of disbelief um to its limit in that encounter. But
1: Well, if you think about it, the, the flip side of that trope would have been to have Justin Long stay alive. Yeah. And then the audience would have really gotten the message that who is the real barbarian? Is it this woman who is just trying to love and be motherly? Mm-hmm. Or is it this horrifying rapist monster of a human being? Yeah. White misogynist, you know, male.
0: And they kind of played the monster to be sympathetic in the last yeah. few scenes. Yeah. Uh she's like holding she's holding Tess as Tess is dying.
1: Um remember when she booped his nose? And-
0: yeah. But she's a victim of her circumstance, which kind of leads me into what else, another thing I was thinking about during the film. Another theme that was interesting, mm. especially being set in Detroit, which is uh, kind of a commentary on class.
1: Notoriously, yeah,
0: yeah, and they have this not great interesting scene with police officers in, in this certain film. parts of the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Stephen mentioned the cops earlier, but the cops essentially <laughs> are just bastards, for lack of a better word, and they don't really do the due diligence. Uh, as Tess has run to them after she's escaped for the first time. And she's like, you guys got to help me out. And there's a man trapped and there's a monster, yada, yada, yada. And they, they go to the house, but they ultimately just end up leaving without doing any, you know, any real police work. So, but also like the neighborhood is run down and decrepit. And you see this flashback from 40 years ago when it was like this, you know, idyllic middle-class predominantly white neighborhood. And, So there's also, like, things that I am just now considering, which is, like, Tess is a person of color. You have Andre in the film, who we find out later is black. And there's just a lot of little interactions that make it interesting and uh, give it this kind of depth, I think, to...
1: I I also think it was interesting that the main cop who was being really negligent was also a black cop. Yeah. Because it couldn't have been a white cop, obviously. It would have been it would have been another trope that it's like of course the white cop is going to not um pay attention to the the black woman in front of him who's basically claiming that she was held hostage <laughs> for the last two weeks. Yeah. And she she had to like scream at him being like I'm not a crackhead, like I'm not a crazy person, I'm mm-hmm. And and he still didn't listen to her. But I did think it was interesting how it was the white cop who was his partner, the black cop's partner that ended up driving away.
0: Yeah, it, there's there's a lot there's a lot of interesting
1: stuff totally that you could pull out from this movie yeah but that conversation it, it it takes it even a step further because like talking about white males and and
0: and toxic masculinity Yeah,
1: toxic masculinity we get a whole backstory something I glossed over in the in the recap but we get a whole backstory for what who we were calling the father it goes it cuts back like 40 50 years. Where this neighborhood was like, you know, nice green grass, like it had like a nineteen fifties um, nuclear heavy. family kind of feel. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but he was this kind of sore thumb, odd man out, who was going to a store to buy basically things to torture his victims with, and it showed him following a woman home and working his way inside the house and and you know manipulating her and stuff, and then he, later when. Justin Long's character finds him still alive in this dungeon. The barbarian woman didn't even want to go near his room. She kind of cowered away and left Justin Long there alone. He finds a bunch of uh, VHS videotapes of his victims uh, with a box TV that he could Justin Long kind of watches one of them. And, but that character, showing all of that very briefly, and what was interesting is it was all shot with like a fisheye lens. So it had a very different feel to the rest of the film, which was not fisheye. It had like a very blown out wide perspective, which is obviously metaphorical, but also very literal as a translation to the visuals we're seeing. It also, the aspect ratio, of the film changed to be more of a square or a box instead of the widescreen aspect ratio that we were watching the whole time. I don't know if you noticed that, but... So much to talk about from a filmmaking, like technical standpoint and, and being able to see more, but also being very sort of myopic in our viewpoint. Cause you're following him at the center of the fisheye the whole time, mm-hmm. which was just fascinating. Like as if he's like the center of his world yeah. while he's going around manipulating people and, and, and taking victims and stuff. About toxic masculinity as this white male who then chose to like, like I said, it's, it's very grotesque and horrifying, even for me to repeat. But like taking women down into this dungeon, torturing them, raping them, then then raping the children that are you know birth from those rapes and so forth and so forth. Uh, at least that's how the uh, the victim of homelessness was. I say Andre was Andre plot it. plot man. Yeah, plot man. But there's so much just be said about toxic masculinity, like, especially from a white male perspective with that character and then the interaction between him and Justin Long and then Justin Long also being sort of this new version of that, but in a slightly different way, like in a more modernized way, almost like all the stuff that has happened with Me Too and and the people that have um, been perpetuating that, it's almost like that way of life was like socially acceptable at a certain point. Not, not completely, but like to a degree and with the me too movement, a lot of those things have come to light and been exposed. And so there's, there's a whole commentary there obviously, but yeah, really interesting to note and also tariff, like horrible, absolutely terrible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Some of the subject matter and some of the visual stuff in this movie is pretty horrific. So, but some really incredible filmmaking, all things considered. And I don't know if this is, I don't think this was Zach's like feature film debut, but I really hope he he, he keeps doing this Jordan Peele thing because... He could have a great feature, <laughs> similarly to Jordan Peele.
1: Yeah. Honestly, if I was comparing Get Out to this, I like this a lot more than Get Out, personally. Just, I thought that this was mm, more clever.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to say, but all I know is I liked it a lot and it was very refreshing in terms of its structure and its style. So, And that was kind of why we had a, kind of heard that
1: before we chose to see it. It's yeah. kind of why we picked it over 3,000 years of longing. Yeah. Even though, I mean, I still want to see 3,000 years, but I just I don't think I'm going to like it as much as this.
0: <laughs> no, probably not. Yeah. It was really fun to have the whole audience on board with this film too. We We saw it in a small theater, but all of the... <laughs> Both the bits were getting yeah. laughs and all the characters were reacting yeah. well to our, our heroine being thrown into these situations. And to her credit, to the writer's credit, to Zach's credit, this was a really well-written character. She was very intelligent. We already kind of mentioned you know, the circumstances surrounding her intelligence, but she doesn't just stumble into these scenarios. She is led into these situations because of her like care for people. Like, she goes back for Bill, and then she goes back for Justin Long. And that's, you know, ultimately what keeps... It's what's growing her character, but it's also what's, you know, throwing her back into these situations. But she's smart enough that she survives the encounter with the monster, quote-unquote monster. Mm -hmm. And uh, Justin Long is not. Bill Skarsgård is not. So, fantastic job, in my opinion, with the writing. And I hope to see more. Yeah, I agree. Totally. I was really hoping, though, we'd see some crazy shit, some even more crazy shit, yeah. because Andre says at one point, he's like, there's scarier things, there's worse things down there than just this mon- this mother monster. Uh, potential... Uh, well, I mean... A sequel. <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: yeah. in actuality, though, I mean, you're right, it could warrant like a sequel if it does well at the box office. So
0: but, if you think about it, there could be so many... Like, There's probably a lot of... Would be, at one point, a lot of people down there. Yeah, and we didn't... I mean, just...
1: To make it clear, the caverns and and all the stuff the tunnels down there was very labyrinthy, and there was no way to actually know where it went or how far it went. However, to support his point, there were worse things than her down there that man and everything that he did over the years was awful, and yeah. he was far worse than she
0: was true. I was just thinking there'd be some even crazier monsters. Cause that first reveal with the mother at the second half marker was so good. Mm-hmm. And it really had me like smiling. I'm always grinning in movies like this. Cause I'm like, I'm nervous, happy. <laughs> you know, like this is, this is sensational. Yeah. yeah, totally. In terms of, uh, keeping me on the edge of my seat. So
1: there was also that one music cue that kept playing. It was like very synthy and it like, it was like, bomb, yeah. bomb, bomb. So right here at the end, I
0: wanted to mention the score. Yeah. Uh, which I could not find on Spotify yet, but I'm pretty sure the composer's name is Anna Drubic. Fantastic too, especially establishing the atmosphere in the first few minutes. But fantastic score, especially in the opening. Uh, it had this very Alex Garland-esque, uh, yeah. coral-like, haunting, a yeah. Yeah. Um, acapella.
1: Yeah, that
0: shot was so cool too, where it
1: started outside, yeah, and like, it goes exterior in. and goes into the car, like. Through the window.
0: And the music cuts. Yeah. That was really cool. Yeah. I wish they used more of that later on, but not everything can be an A24. They
1: did bring that back a few times, but yeah, no, I think this actually played a lot like an A24 film. Yeah. I think. And it was 20th century pictures, which was interesting. Yeah. Being now owned by
0: Disney. Something else. This was a Disney film. Barbarian. (laughs) It was a Disney movie. Oh yeah. What (laughs) What a trip. It's yeah. funny because there have been a couple movies like that. I don't know if Malignant was one of them, but Empty Man was one that happened at the end of 20th century, and Disney's like, this isn't us. <laughs> this Pray. is not a Disney movie. Prey was another one. Yeah. 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 So good, though. Yeah, really Like, good. Disney is missing out on, like... They need we, to put this into the Marvel movies. We, <laughs> that'd be sick.
1: Literally sick. <laughs> people <laughs> will be vomiting. It'd be gross. <laughs> people will be like, Doctor Strange 3 it just takes this turn oh my goodness people people would really not like those can songs. you imagine
0: if we had a disney show or, or film that no. had a scene no where somebody is beaten to death with their own arm or like oh, that was such a good part of the film i thought that was hilarious i was dying I mean, it's, it's
1: terrible it's awful like obviously in yeah a, in a lot
0: a- andre the plot man he starts to give a description about what's going on and this is right after justin and georgina campbell have escaped and he said like they're concerned the monster's gonna come get them and he's there in this little <laughs> warehouse he says i've been living here for 15 years and not once has this mother and as he's saying that the monster barges in through the wall like the kool-aid man yeah <laughs> yoinks andre's arm off and starts beating, beating him, him with it. <laughs> <laughs> and that that wasn't even the most brutal thing in the film no but it was so funny
1: and that's that's part of that comedy horror that we were kind of mentioning. Like, obviously, it's horrifying to view, but the situation, it's its situational comedy at its best at the same yeah. time, you know? <laughs> so good. Knowing that these characters are fictional, you yeah. know, it, this
0: was not a real thing. But Especially for a theater experience. Yeah. I really can't recommend this movie enough.
1: Yeah, I would recommend it too for people, like I said, that like horror and they want to see a well made film. Um, right here at the end, we will play. That track, I hope, if we can find it online.